Welcome to the Harrington Star FinTech Diversity, Equity and Inclusion Discussions. I want to showcase people across our industry who are advocates for change. I love to celebrate the wins, but we know there is so much more to be done to ensure that change actually happens to build a truly inclusive industry. In these diversity, equity and inclusion discussions, I have a number of series. The Humans of FinTech, The Talent Surgery, The Maternity and Paternity Stories, and the longest running of all, the Women of Fintech podcast series. I do lots of work to drive change campaigns across our industry to increase inclusion within the workplace. So please contact me to see how we can partner together. You can contact me through LinkedIn or on my email, nadia.edwards-dashti at harringtonstar.com. In the meantime, enjoy the show. Welcome to our groundbreaking short series, The Maternity and Paternity Stories of Fintech. We aim to tell the real journeys of the men and women in fintech who have embarked on starting or further growing their families. Today in the world of fintech, more and more companies are realizing how important a people-first attitude is, and this is a previously unexplored avenue on that. We are here to learn how we can better support our people and share great ideas. So today we have Hannah Lee Marsh, a FinTech executive, change facilitator and strategist with experience of working for the likes of Wirecard, Mastercard, Nedbank and Standard Bank. She is an accomplished executive and entrepreneur, having led technical teams at two of South Africa's largest financial services groups and most recently as MD of Wirecard Solutions South Africa. She has a solid track record of developing and launching new products in emerging markets, leading large-scale change initiatives and delivering strategic results. And today, I'm over the moon to say that she's here to share her story. So welcome, Hannah Lee. Thanks, Nadia. Thanks for the intro. So give us, in your words, a bit more insight into your career and your experience. I think my career is very similar to, like we're speaking about having families, right, to the journey of growing up. I look at my kids and, you know, they are so incredibly different. I think you may have experienced the same thing. And you find those people that when when they're born, they know that one day they are going to walk on the moon. And throughout their life, they work relentlessly at getting to that end result. And then there are people that are like me that have no idea what the end looks like, but you find your way as you curve through new initiatives, different ideas. So I've had quite a colourful career, I think, having spent time working in various organisations that are quite similar if you look at the fintech space, but not at all what I expected. If you had to ask me at school uh, where I was going to end up, the answer would have been a hospital as a doctor. And definitely not a bank. So it was probably the last place where I expected. That's to so end interesting, up. isn't it? Well, you wanted to be a doctor the, and you ended up in a bank. <laughs> that's interesting, right? You couldn't be further, further apart. So, I mean, what happened is I actually studied marketing, wanting to experience different worlds, different cultures after I traveled overseas after school. And I was recruited onto a graduate program at one of the largest banks in South Africa. And and I was placed in the technology and operations division as a business analyst. And that was, I suppose, the beginning of this 20-year journey in fintech, which definitely was not what I'd set out to do. Marketing degree and tech and operations, totally different sides of the spectrum. 
And for 15 years in my career, I was probably in the wrong career for my skill set. So I was always on quite a technical side of the business, a lot of detail analysis, project management, business analysis, when in fact, I'm the total opposite. I'm a total right brain, highly intuitive, strategic, and very much people-oriented. So these things happen, I suppose, for you to, to learn about yourself and to find the, the segues out and off the, off the highway, little detours. So my road has not been linear. The last 10 years of my career have been by far the most exciting. The last two, definitely most exciting with the interesting things that happened at Wirecard, which I'm sure everyone knows about, and having to lead a team through that really dramatic change of both COVID and our global insolvency. Definitely excited to see what happens next because this is a journey that continues to unfold as I walk it and I still don't know whether I'm going to end up on the moon or on Saturn or on Pluto. Well, I absolutely love the way that you described that because, you know, a, a career is a journey. And I love the way that you said you, know, you spent a lot of time learning about yourself and your skill sets to then be able to identify what you're really good at and what you love. And then talking about journeys, tell us about your maternity journey and how you balanced your career. That's also one of those that I suppose was different to the what you set out was going to be the fairy tale of your life, the normal school, university, get married, have kids, you know, like you have, have this picture in your mind of when, when what happens. But I had kids quite late. So I had my son at the age of 37 and my daughter at 39. So I was quite advanced in my career by then, which has pros and cons like anything else. But I think for me, it was absolutely perfect. So I was quite settled in where I was in my career. I was ready to have the little monsters. And, and I think because of that, I was incredibly calm. I was also blessed with very easy pregnancies. So with both my kids, I worked up to literally a day or two before I went into labor. So the journey was interesting. I had, as I said, quite easy pregnancies. But I do recall in the early days of pregnancy, you know, arriving at the office and taking a quick nap against the window of the car before you had to get out and having to adjust to different types of food you need to eat and different types of activities. And then having the babies very, very late in my pregnancy, both of them in the end emergency C-sections because they came earlier than what was anticipated. And then to readjust back into, well, at home first and being a mother and then to go back into work. With both of them, I didn't entirely remove myself from work. In South Africa, we have four-month maternity leave, so it's not incredibly long, but I remained reasonably connected to the team, predominantly through people coming to visit and having a cup of coffee and chatting about what was happening. But with my daughter, so my second, I just joined Wirecard like a few months earlier, and we were in a, in a big acquisition phase in terms of um, additional team members. So when my daughter was two weeks old, I had her strapped to my chest and we were conducting interviews at a, a venue close to my home with sufficient time in between to do breastfeeding and nappy changes and all of those things. So it really was a bit of integrating the best of both worlds into both the career and into the family life. I think it's really important to have time with a baby in the beginning, but it's equally as important. And I think COVID, we've seen that now. Family and work is no longer two fundamentally separate entities. It really is part of a holistic one. So that was interesting. That was sort of the start of it. And then Having a newborn and being back in the corporate space and traveling overseas brings some interesting experiences like having to express milk in an airplane bathroom 
or in an airport bathroom to be able to keep up supply and demand. But I suppose all of those give us the interesting stories that, that make this part of the journey. It's so, so interesting, isn't it? And, you know, I'm, I'm really smiling there when I hear about you being in an airplane toilet, expressing milk or in an airport toilet. And, and just what lengths that the human body can go to to do that balance, to balance, you know, your work life and your home life. You're so right. COVID has shown us that these two have become so, so much more one, more one than they've ever been before. And I know we've spoken about you interviewing with the baby strapped to your chest and being able to do that and wanting to do that and being welcomed to do that. These are all really key parts of it. Now, with that mentioning of COVID, how do you think COVID has changed things for us? Yes, we can speak a long time about how COVID changed our life, but I think there's been so many discussions about COVID in general. And, and I think with most of those things, there are pros and cons, right? So on the positive side, it is this. It is this fact that there are no longer two people that you have to portray the businesswoman polished and, you know, in a suit versus the mother, uh, when in fact you're one holistic person. And I think having the kids coming in into conference or like into your office when you're on a conference call and when you have small kids like myself, they generally come to ask two things. Either they want to eat something or they want to go to the toilet. Always really good icebreakers on any conference call. So having that ability to have the freedom for people to see a bit beyond just the suit and the, and like, you know, the title, I think is one of the positive things. For me, the, the first few months of hard lockdown, we had a very severe hard lockdown in South Africa, which I think you may be aware of. Spending time, quality time with two kids that you, that, you know, you, you see a lot, but you never spend 24 hours a day with them unless you're on holiday. And here you all had to integrate into a small workspace or a small living space and really just to see what kids do during the day. It was, it was absolutely fascinating. My kids last year were like what, four and five years old, so still quite small. So being able to spend that quality time, even though you had to juggle with work and, and, and everything else, I think was, was, was super special. But on the downside, I think the amount of anxiety that is in general in society is definitely difficult for the kids and for parents to try and shelter kids from the negative impacts of that, I think added a massive burden, a massive emotional burden to parents to be able to manage a seemingly normal upbringing of children, uh, we speak about like small babies that need to learn to speak, can't learn to speak if someone is wearing a mask, you know, really being able to adjust to some of those things. And then, I mean, parenthood, at least motherhood for me, came with a serious dose of guilt generally where you're guilty when you're at an office and guilty when you're at home. And I think COVID made that worse because now those two things were so close together. You were at home, but not present for the kids and you were supposed to work, but the kids were there too. So being able to balance this guilt trip, this integration of family and work life, and then also the additional burdens of homeschooling or weird school schedules of one day on, one day off, having to make arrangements to be available for children during different school schedules. All of those things, I think, have added to the administrative burden you know, of parenting. And I'm hoping we can find some, some normality at some point in time to be able to keep some of the good but let go of some of the bad. Yeah, absolutely. And that really resonates with me, the, what you've just said there about the mother's guilt. Because I often will say, you know, I have mother's guilt, but then career guilt, because I don't have the, the long hours and the evenings that I used to have. You've explained that really well, that when you are 
in lockdown and, and working from home and your place of family and your place of work and the exactly same thing, you've got to balance that presence and that presence of mind. And actually, there's another woman who I interviewed in my Women of Fintech series, and she said to me, whichever mode you're in, you've got to really work on being present in that to really let go of that emotional burden, the burden that you're talking about. And it's such good advice. It's so good to hear you sharing that because I know people that listen to this, they will connect with that also. And it's so comforting to know you're not alone. I think that's that's the first step, knowing you're not alone. And then let's, let's start to look at, what are the solutions to this? Like it reminds me when I had to go back to work and my firstborn, I mean, I had such apprehension to go back to work and leaving this little four-month-old bundle with the nanny and, you know, not being at home. And I had to commute to the office, was an hour away from home. I mean, I had massive anxiety about going back, being able to be totally comfortable with not only the baby being okay, but me having to get back into work and do, Especially you know, the expressing. baby. And all of that stuff, right? And then I remember arriving at the office the first day and within an hour, I was like, oh my goodness, I'm in heaven. So good to just be, you know. And I then later felt guilty for being happy to be in a space where I also, like a big part of me was really happy and, and excited. And I think the fact that home was so far away made it easy for me to segregate the two and to not feel guilty where I now have colleagues that had babies during lockdown and now you're sitting in your home office and the baby is outside the door crying. It's very different to be able to segregate those two when when you can hear what's happening. Mm. I can have anyone here taking care of the kids. If they want mommy, they want mommy. They don't care that I'm I'm on the call. If they want you and they know that you're there, then that's it. So um, I do believe that we were almost sheltered in the, the work away from home space where like out of sight, out of mind, it was okay for a couple of hours a day for me to just be purely present in my workspace. And now to be able to find that same equilibrium when that workspace is not separated, I think it's tough, but it's, you know, it's something that we need to, we need yeah. to get a handle on. That's a good way of putting it, finding that equilibrium. I think that's absolutely spot on. And look, we've discussed this before, but it's almost like pregnancy isn't just about the pregnancy or maternity isn't just, and paternity isn't either. You know, it's, it's actually so much more all-encompassing than that. And you've spoken about accommodating and, and workplaces accommodating for all parts of the pregnancy. What does that actually look like? I mean, like, you know, we, we also know that countries differ, companies differ, people differ in terms of what they make available and then also what people need. I think that was the other thing that for me was so apparent in my journey and, and, and speaking to women about this is what I needed during my pregnancy and post is not the same for everyone. It's a bit like, you know, when we have these stalk parties or these baby showers, People buy you what they really needed, but you end up not using half of it because you don't. We really have to find what works for us. And I think that's very much the case. So not all pregnancies are easy. Not all births are easy and then not all babies are easy. So it just depends on where things land. And I mean, I think often we have really good structures around maternity leave or paternity leave. So that, that piece so between when the baby is born and you have to go back to work. I mean, I still think we have a long way to go in the what happens before and then what happens after. And with the before, anything from people trying to fall pregnant but struggling. I know it's an incredibly emotional thing for people to to struggle to fall pregnant. It's highly emotional, highly emotionally charged. 
And, and I don't think that organizations and as people, we do enough to make it easy for people to go through that really, really tough journey, especially when they are struggling, you know, really struggling to fall pregnant. The other one is when pregnancies fail. I mean, I had a miscarriage. And I mean, I understand that I didn't expect that to happen. In my generation, people struggle to fall pregnant. But once you're pregnant, all good. Now, and I mean, mine was not the case. And I'm I remember, so you know, that's very tough. No, thanks, Nadia. No, it was, it was really early on. So it was still a shock. Didn't expect it at all. But it was so early that I hadn't even told my employer I was pregnant yet. You know, and that's another thing. It's like, what is the right time to tell people? Yeah. And do we force people to disclose early on? Because I'm very strongly an advocate against that because I've been in the position where where I had gone through the all the hormonal changes and everything just to like terminate the pregnancy and then to have, have to go back to work the next day and pretend everything's fine like it's just that's difficult for people and and I don't think we speak about the struggling to fall pregnant and the chances of losing a pregnancy enough because I mean my doctor said to me one in seven first pregnancies fail mm. I mean it's one in seven it's staggeringly high. And when I spoke to my friends about my pregnancy or failure or the miscarriage, it turned out that many of them had miscarriages and I never knew about it because you don't speak about a miscarriage. Yeah, Just like you don't speak about struggling to fall pregnant, you know? Mm, yeah. So I think as organizations, we need to be more supportive, especially as people are starting families later. So your chances do become weaker of falling pregnant easily or like or remaining pregnant. So that is the one. And then beyond the actual pregnancy one is what are we doing as organizations to make it easy for mothers to express at work? I had some interesting stories about having to express at work at the one company where I worked when I had my first. There were no meeting rooms or offices that did not have glass panel, either doors or windows. So I would sit in the auditorium behind the lectern with one of my colleagues keeping an eye on the door and we would like have... And marketing express meetings, you know, like some quick marketing meetings twice a day to get through my breastfeeding. But it shouldn't be like that. It should be really easy. There should be facilities for you to keep your like the milk cold, to sterilize the equipment. I mean, those things should be given as a standard part of you know workplace procedures. So on both ends, I think it's really important for us to see this as a journey. And then when you, the baby is there, like not all babies need the same level of care. So how accommodating are we with babies with special needs, for example, um, and parents that need to be available? Mm. Yeah, really, really interesting. And, and again, I relate to this so much. And I feel very lucky that I have a freezer in the workplace so I can freeze my freezer blocks. I have a special section in the fridge and we have now got a frosted glass. So <laughs> there is a bit of that privacy. So I, I really appreciate you raising that because it's such a pertinent point that if you're a woman that hasn't been close to somebody else that's, that's breastfed, or if you're a, a man that, that isn't thinking about having children, this isn't going to cross your mind. So it's great to raise this awareness to understand other people's uh, other people's situations and, and what they're going through in their life. You've also spoken, and you've touched upon this a couple of times already, around the paternity side of things and normalising paternity leave and the shared experience. Could you share a bit more yeah. on that, please? Yeah, sure. So, I mean, again, as with maternity, it, it varies greatly. In South Africa, paternity leave is very little, if not non-existent. If you have five to ten days as a father, 
um, after the birth of your baby, that's that's quite progressive. That's not from a legislation perspective. It's not a requirement. It's, I mean, we've got opportunity here, but it's it's the other parent, right? And that's the other thing that I think we sometimes get back into the what do we see as normal? And it could be maternal leave times too, or paternal leave times too, and not necessarily maternal and paternal. So how do we how do we manage situations where the other parent also wants to be involved, irrespective of whether it's a mother or a father? And I think the important thing around all of these things is to be able for organizations to make it flexible for people to decide what works for them. So in South Africa, as I mentioned, four months is the, is the generic. And from a recommended policy procedure perspective, it says a month before the baby is born and three months after. Now, I didn't want a month at home before my baby was born. I would have driven someone up the walls, including myself. So my choice was to work as long as possible in what my, I mean, my body could manage and then to have maximum time afterwards. And I think that is important to be able to say my preference is to have either time before or time after, depending. If I, I mean, if I had a, a difficult pregnancy, you may need more time before. It needs to be flexible. And the same thing with paternity leave. Andrew, my husband, was at home for the five days after I got home from hospital with our firstborn. And it was really cool. But he was totally out of his depth. You know, he didn't know what to do with himself. There's nothing he could physically do to really help me. He was helping around the house and with things like dinners and stuff like that. But he wasn't really being a parent, like in the true sense of the word, because there wasn't much for him to do. And and when he went back to the office, I was actually quite relieved because as a new mother, I needed to spend time with this little one, just the two of us to figure out, okay, how's this thing going to work? What, what is a happy cry, a sad cry, a hungry cry? But when you have a lot of people around, you don't really get time to truly listen. So what would have been useful is for Andrew to have time when I had to go back to, the, to work, you know, from, from my maternity leave, to prolong the time of a parent at home before the baby was at home with the nanny. So if Andrew could have had some time after my four-month maternity to then have time with the baby that was more responsive, daddy's sort of enjoying them when they're about six months old, that would have been potentially more useful for us. With the second one, I was very happy to have Andrew at home because I had, Dairo was 15 months old at home when I came home with my daughter. So I had a 15-month-old at home that needed attention. So having Andrew there was an absolute blessing, but not for the newborn, but it was for the other one. So being flexible around what that means and then being as forgiving as possible in terms of the time that parents need with the kids like you have such a short period of time if you look at the time span of a career in a 40-year career what is two months four months times two or three whatever it is it really doesn't make a difference in the greater scheme of things but it does make a difference in terms of how happy the kids are going to be and how well settled and how how much you are going to save in additional time later on I think that is such an important point for everyone to take note of. It, what, what we're looking for here is a, is a short amount of time in the grand scheme of a large career, but an incredibly important and influential time in the beginning of somebody's life. Like, like it's, it's almost like a seesaw. Like you can see exactly which way that that seesaw is, is landing. But we are, because of tradition, because of historically who's been in the workplace, we are not 
geared up to look at it from that angle. And it's so important that we do now. And, you know, I know that the two of us, we have been able to really uh, talk a lot about this subject quite passionately. But, you know, we've been talking about the fintech community in general and, and companies and what they're doing for company culture and supporting their staff. And you've said some really excellent things around benefits that are given to people and, and real day-to-day support. So I just wanted you to tell us a bit more around that. Firstly, the fintech space, as you know, is incredibly buoyant and fast-growing and ever-changing. And from a culture perspective, I've come across every possible kind of culture that you can find in fintech. You know, when people say fintech, the first picture is Google startup, foosball tables and beanbags, you know, that kind of thing. But you get all, I mean, all, all thoughts in the space. And to that point, we are very good at attracting young talent by giving them the cool stuff they want at the office to make it fun to work at the office. The flexible hours, the foosball table, the funky chairs, the, all of the good things. But then what are we doing to create that same level of comfort and attractiveness throughout the people in your, like in your team's, their, their lives? So what are we doing for people that are at the maternity, paternity you know, age or people that are like a bit beyond that where the kids are leaving home? Are we putting the same amount of effort in the benefits and the culture that we're building to support people throughout that career? Because I've now been in FinTech for 20 years. I've tried to leave twice. Somehow you can't get out of it. And the one thing that I do know is um, a massive problem that we are facing in the, in the FinTech and the payment technology space is a lack of good people. I mean, we are struggling to find quality talent. And I mean, I think you can speak to this much better than I can probably, but there's a huge scarcity. And what I honestly believe is going to happen is that companies are going to have to work actively to create cultures that attract the right kind of people and people that are diverse in thinking and that have learned so many things that parenting teaches you like empathy and the value of diversity and how it's very possible to get along with someone who's your total opposite in terms of personality when you just unconditionally love them. Like, isn't it amazing, though, that you have someone, and if that was a person that worked with you, that there would be that, like, thorn in your side, but because it's your son, he's all cute and different and exciting. I mean, like, kids teach you these things. So, like, people that have gone through this, this journey of, like, of having children bring a totally different aspect to the workplace and as, as organizations and as fintech companies, we are going to have to work harder to attract the skill set because promotion and physical workplace environment and flexi work is just not going to be enough going forward. I absolutely love what you say there because I've not seen it like that, but I know what you mean. You can have the most gorgeous child who in any other walk of life, because they're the opposite to your personality, you probably wouldn't be exposed to that person because in any other walk of life you would have shied away from it but now that's your daughter or your son and you learn so much more from being with that person and learning about that personality I I absolutely love that you've raised that because again that's going to really stick with me and I'm going to use that when I'm talking to people about about the importance of cultivating diversity of thought and opinion and, and being able to hear people from completely different thought chains and and backgrounds and and perspectives because ultimately it does make us stronger in the fintech community with everything that we're trying to do to focus on customer and 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 widening that customer base so i think that's absolutely brilliant and i've made a note of that so thank you and look it takes me on to my final question we've had such a great conversation we've covered so many things but my last question is what more do you think we should be doing to support 
working people through this transition? I mean, I think, like, I think we've covered most of this, right, in our chats. It's understanding that everyone's journey is different. So everyone's transition is different. There's no one policy that will fit everyone, and we need to be open to the conversations and open to adjusting accordingly to make, to make sure that people are accommodated. What someone needs that's 20 years old and pregnant versus someone who was almost 40 and pregnant, it's, it's not the same. You know? So uh, you cannot have a one-size-fits-all in this thing. I think we need to have the conversations around what is important. Having conversations like this and creating a platform like you have I think is critical. Like we, we don't speak enough about these things that affect each and every one of our lives, but yet, you know, it's almost like it's a disease to, you know, to, to be pregnant. It's something that is an inconvenience for an organization to a large degree. You know, like, you know, many organizations that will not provide maternity benefits if you've not had a specific tenure with them uh, before you fall pregnant. I mean, those things, again, in a 40-year career is highly short-sighted. If you support a person through a couple of months in terms of their journey as a parent with you, you will have the loyalty that you cannot buy, you know, with money or benefits or, you know, social lunches on a Friday. Those are the things that I think will really make people hang around in an environment where it's just not commonplace anymore. So building that culture where people are understood and people are valued and also, if other people see how you treat them, I mean, I've had this conversation with male leaders around, you know, my strong views around accommodating women executives during this journey is around, what if I were your daughter? What if your daughter is in a working situation and her employer discriminates against her for wanting to be a mother? It's, I mean, you will not accept that, right? So how are we creating some of that awareness to say we all have paradigms based on where we've come from and how we were raised and, I mean, our age group and peer group, but... If I look at my kids now, Gen Z, we've got a whole new like, ball game waiting for us. We don't understand what the requirement is going to be for them. It may be fundamentally different to us. And I think having open and frank conversations is the beginning of being able to build a work working culture and a career where one of the most normal things in life, being a parent, is accepted as a normal thing and not as, not as an exception to the rule. I think that it's been absolutely brilliant us talking today. You've been so honest, so candid. You shared so much of your experience. There are just so many highlights and so many things that, you know, me having recently had babies, I, I just relate to so much that you've said. And I think that this series is just so important because of that. I want people to share this episode. I want people to forward it on to new mothers, new fathers, fathers who are thinking about trying again for another baby, people who are thinking about doing it for the first time. Because if you want it, if you want to have a career and you want to have a family, it is possible. It's also yeah. not wrong if you don't want to have that career and you want that family. And it's not wrong if you want that career and you don't want that family. But if you want both, it is possible. And Hannah Lee, thank you for sharing how you've done it and sharing your story has been wonderful. So thank you for joining us on the Maternity and Paternity Stories of Fintech.